0: This week on the 4-4 View podcast, we decided to delve into the world of football analytics and spoke to Matthew, whose passion for tactical analysis led him to working for a second division Swedish women's team. And that chat then segued into a wider discussion about the use of data analysis and sabermetrics in modern football. So, yeah, hope you enjoy. <laughs>
1: Hey, starting off, Matthew, first of all, thanks for coming on and joining us. Matthew actually is a co-host of a podcast, Beyond NI. Matthew, do you want to give a bit of a sort of insight to what Beyond NI is and what you guys do over there?
2: Yeah, so it's me and the, someone else you know, James May, and we both uh, do a politics podcast. It's about Northern Irish politics, We're kind of trying to focus on uh, policy stuff that maybe doesn't get talked about too much in kind of the media, just trying to like give people an idea of what's actually happening on non-sectarian grounds, maybe northern Irish politics we also obviously have like Instagram page which is which does all right Twitter page and like a a website where we sometimes post blogs blog posts and all just kind of do an analysis but yeah
1: happy days I think we've probably known each other for the guts sort of about like 20 odd years now I think back to the, <laughs> back to primary one at this stage like but back then it probably a while. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that we'd be doing something like this 20 years later, but but here we are. So starting off, yeah, Matthew, just give us a bit of an idea, uh, the whole situation that you find yourself in, obviously regarding the Swedish team and what you did to get there and, and what the role sort of involved And
2: Yeah, so I guess the best kind of place to start with it was that I was doing like a tactical write-ups on like Reddit. Uh, I would just kind of be sitting there writing like things about, you know, uh, that analysis on like very classic games like, you know, Istanbul, did analysis of kind of more contemporary stuff, like whenever Frankfurt had their period of doing really well with like uh, Andre Silva and you know all those kind of players. I did a analysis of that as well. And then I got like uh, approached on Reddit by a a coach of a second division Swedish women's team asking if I'd be up for doing a bit of tactical analysis um, for him. And I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds sounds like good crack. he actually. He he also had like a couple other uh, scouts for him. So he he had like online scouts who were watching you know teams in that division and doing reports for him. But I was doing a kind of he would send me footage of his team and I would kind of do some technical analysis of it and just kind of get my like input. Oh, obviously, wasn't telling him necessarily something new. He probably didn't know about the team. Mm -hmm. It was more so I was just given like an outsider's perspective on like how he's playing and maybe what what you know the kind of consistent things i was seeing in it
1: did you have sort of a half decent size sort of following through reddit or or were you just sort of doing it kind of on your own accord like every sort of week or
2: i was definitely doing it on my own accord because for the most part i was doing it like through uni so
1: right. i was
2: just kind of doing it as like you know i had the time but then also reddit's a weird place where you don't really well i think it's different now but back then uh, you didn't really have a following but i think you kind of gained like maybe notoriety you kind of people would like maybe recognize your name um, people kind of see my posts and kind of knew that, you know, I was the guy who like did kind of this long form tactical analysis. I mean, that, at that time there wasn't necessarily like loads of tactical analysis about, there was, you know, a couple websites doing it, but it wasn't like what it is like now where kind of anytime you like go on the internet and search, you know, team tactical analysis, there's going to be something there for it.
1: Yeah. So um, I reckon that sort of helped you in that sense to get that role because there wasn't so much of that happening at the time.
2: I think definitely. I think even in terms of like internal clubs, I don't think most clubs even, well, I think some like bigger clubs would have had like tactical analy- analysis who would have, you know, done, uh, done what I was effectively doing for like this small team. But I imagine for most small teams at that time, it wasn't a big idea that they would be thinking about. But I guess for this guy, he kind of maybe was just a wee bit more open to that side yeah. of things. Yeah.
1: Did you say it was the manager of the club that got in contact with you or was it someone sort of uh, behind the scenes a bit more that approached you?
2: Yeah, it was actually just the manager. I think his name was uh, Philip uh, Rinstad, I think it was. I don't know if I've butchered his name, but uh, yeah, Swedish guy, I think it was, who just kind of got in contact, asked me if I wanted to do it, and was perfectly happy to do it, Like obviously.
1: Is the team are they sort of well-known, or is it more so kind of a minnow? So is it in, in women's football in Sweden? It's maybe not got too much sort of coverage over here, but over there in Sweden, would they be well sort of known? Or? I think
2: they'd probably be fairly small. Like uh, Their second division in Sweden. And a women's team, like as well. But I think actually, Sweden does have a very good female football uh, system. I think maybe uh, I'm not an expert on it necessarily, but I think they do actually have, you know, a good women's team and a good women's national team as well. They did used to be in the top the division, as far as I know. They they dropped down, and that's, I think, a season or two after they dropped down was, you know, whenever I kind of got the call. It was good to like learn like about you know such a small club and just kind of see what was happening with them. Yeah.
1: Um, was it were you doing it for long like with the role, or was it just kind of a, on a temporary basis
2: it was just the one uh, the one long kind of thing where he sent me over like all this game footage I think it was like four full games he sent me over and I went and did like this big kind of I basically did what I was doing for you know all the stuff i been doing for Reddit previously where I was just doing big tactical analysis of it and kind of given my long form thoughts on like what is happening and you know what could be done in the future maybe
1: did he did he cut you off at some point today, or did you just have all stuff going on? Or
2: I I think at the time, but uh, looking back at it, I think I could have dealt with it better. Because I think for me, whenever I got that, I was there like, oh great, now I can like go do it for other places. I yeah. I, I kind of saw it as like, oh well, now I'm gonna go send like emails off to like you know teams in like the fourth or fifth division of England and see if they want it done. Um, mm-hmm. Which maybe wasn't I probably should have like built up more of a portfolio, which mm-hmm. I think in retrospect, you obviously kind of know. Because I, th- I think about that with like you know the politics stuff. I'm sure you guys have found out with the journalism stuff where portfolio is kind of like so important. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Hi, Mafi. I so, uh, just just uh, um wondering, uh, how how did you sort of get into the the whole data analysis thing in football? Like, you don't have any like sort of qualifications in it, do you, or is just something you did as a hobby initially?
2: It's it's one of those things where I think I, there was just always a bit of frustration like even whenever I was watching match of the day it was always a wee bit annoyed that they didn't spend more time just like actually talking about how the team plays or how you know the team kind of functions on the pitch as opposed to kind of just doing like the vague kind of platitudes of oh you know they played really hard they put in a lot of passion and that's why they won the game yeah and I think as the internet kind of developed and like the football kind of side of the internet <laughs> kind of developed I think yeah football manager and things like that yeah 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 like uh just kind of got more and more interested in it to a point where I was you know reading quite long articles <laughs> just on like how you know the team should be positioned and you know very football nerdy kind of stuff I guess.
1: At that stage where you at into sort of you know the way obviously nowadays to have the sort of expected goals and expected assists is a big thing in yeah and sort of football analysis at that stage were you looking at that as well or that not, not quite become sort of a prominent stance to kind of look at in, in the game or?
2: I was really interested whenever it first came out because I do remember there was like quite a lot of kind of talk, talk. I wasn't actually one of the, one of those like data people who was able to like actually really kind of create new data. I would kind of just take other people's data if I saw it and just kind of, you know, steal it basically. <laughs> I I really liked uh because I, I do remember whenever it first came out, kind of like a lot of the um, expected goals. And there was also like, there was, intre- I don't know if you guys remember a guy called Stefan Kiesling. I think his name was.
1: Mm-hmm. Bar Leverkusen striker. Barry
2: Leverkusen, yeah, yeah. he, mm-hmm. him, and another German footballer decided to create or like a, a form of data analysis that would, um, take a pass and it would figure out how many how many men you were taking out of the game with that single pass, mm-hmm. and it was trying to figure out like ball progression passes, which I found very interesting. Even though I don't think it was like a public kind of thing, but I just thought the concept of that was probably one of the more interesting like stats that I kind of came across whenever I was looking into that kind of stuff. But I kind of more just stayed on like the actual tactical analysis of a team, like looking at how they are playing through like film and like footage. It's, it's mental, like how big stats and like
0: data that analysis
2: That's become the sport recently. I think
0: it probably first became like wider public knowledge. And I don't know if either you've seen it, but you know, the film Moneyball. Yes.
2: If, yeah, if either either you've
0: ever seen that about? Uh, it's about this American baseball team, local athletics, who basically, I can know we're going away from football here, but. Uh, it's based on like the, the MLB, like the Major League Baseball in America, There's this just team Oakland athletics who were coming off like, their two thousand one season and they just lost like their their I don't know, I it was their big like final game or whatever the big playoff game was over, over there to like, one of the bigger teams like New York. I can remember the New York version of the big baseball team is over there Yankees, yeah, and they were going to, and they were going into a new season looking at how to like uh how they could like, compete with these bigger teams. But they obviously didn't have the same levels of money as the big New York teams or the big Boston teams. So they looked towards their, their manager, uh, general manager, Billy Bean. Uh, he sort of got in touch with this guy, Peter Brand, who was like a Yale economics graduate. And he had all these radical theories about how he was going to recruit players in baseball and like do it through data analysis rather than just throwing money at players, actually looking more closely at like uh, statistics and data and stuff like that there and going for players that you know, but these teams wouldn't be looking at because they weren't looking closely enough at the stats and the and analytics of it. And then I think this team, the Oakland Athletics, went on like a 20-match-unbeaten run, which was unheard of in baseball back then. And so that's sort of what the whole film was about. And then after that sort of started to happen, more, more of the sort of data analysis side of things started to use in other big American sports like NFL and like basketball. And then eventually it sort of tried to work its way into football. Like free, I think that same guy, Billy Boone, who was the manager of that Oakland Athletics side, he became an advisor to Azet Alkmore, the Dutch team. And uh, I think they were they were sort of one of the first teams to try and use it as football. Because I think with football at the start there was sort of there was a, a reluctance to accept this whole data analysis thing because they sort of saw I think a lot of football saw it as like an American thing, and there was a bit of sort of um reluctance to take it on, but I think now no, you see more and more of it in the game, don't you?
2: Yeah, because obviously that scene in the movie where you see John Henry, well, it's not actually John Henry, but it's, you know, an actor playing John Henry, because obviously he then buys Liverpool. He tried buying Billy Bean, I think, uh, to come over to was it the Red Sox or someone?
0: <laughs> I, I think, I think John Henry is the, the he's the owner of the Boston Red Sox, which is yeah. one of the big big
2: baseball teams over in in the USA. Yeah, and obviously now he's owner of Liverpool as well. He's been owner of Liverpool for. Many years now, but then I, I think I always found, found it funny because, like, whenever John Henry originally bought Liverpool and he was like a big believer in Moneyball, like, mm-hmm. he, he looking back at it now, I don't think I guess talked about it enough. The, like this kind of first spending spree that happened, he bought like Stuart Downing, Charlie Adams, Andy Carroll, Luis Suarez. And I think quite, quite clearly the idea was what's, the, what's like the statistically the best way of like scoring goals? Oh, it must be crossing. Yeah. So they bought like Charlie Adams, Stuart Downing, because I thought these are two guys are going to whip the ball. In. Andy <laughs> Carroll up front. <laughs> and Andy Carroll up front. And they bought Suarez to be like the guy in behind Andy Carroll. But it all just broke down because Stuart Downing just became like an absolute bottle job <laughs> of a player. <laughs> Charlie Adams became a bit of a meme. And then Andy Carroll was literally never on the pitch. Mm. So I thought it was funny. But then I think Liverpool clearly like did develop. Like apparently they have like a lot of behind the scenes stats that no one ever gets to see in terms of, like, scouting players now and actually figuring out what, you know, they did. Well, like, clearly Sadio Mane and, you know, a lot of other kind of signings they've got going on who have just, like, come back, come out. Like, Mo Mo is probably another one who kind of got caught in the kind of data analysis, which Liverpool does behind the scenes. So I mean, I think Moneyball's definitely, like, I don't want to say it's the singular way for it, but I think for some teams it's definitely becoming, like, the the thing to kind of develop and, like, find out how it does get used in football.
0: Yeah, you look at another team in England who really, basically their whole model is based around Moneyball is Brentford. Their owner, Matthew uh, Benham, sorry. He also owns Michelin FC in Denmark, who they're also sort of heavily in, in, invested in this whole data analytics and sabermetric system. He's actually, he was, he was an, he's an Oxford physics graduate and he also a lifelong Brentford fan. And he he made his money through this company called Smart Odd, which is basically... A company that he invented who calculate the outcome of football matches percentage-wise for amongst others professional gamblers so basically they're trying to get a one up on the bookies by sort of trying to calculate mathematically the outcome of football matches so that's how he made his money and then he took over Brentford in 2012 and like he radically remodeled them like the whole transfer system was changed so like almost a stock market approach where you look for these players in these smaller continental leagues, like the Turkish Super League and like Sweden, like Denmark, like all these, all these like leagues that none of the other bigger clubs were looking for to find talent, like these players that were being overlooked by the bigger sides, basically trying to then identify this talent. And then their whole transfer strategy would be identify underrated talent, developing them and then selling them on for a profit. So you see that a lot with like, for example. Like Neil Bopai, he plays for Brentford, or sorry, he plays for Brighton now in the Premier League. They bought him from like the French, the French, uh, like second division and for like, like pennies, and then they sold him on for like twice or maybe three times to Brighton in the Premier League. And you see, you've seen it with Andre Gray as well, they sold him to I think it was maybe Burnley for a profit. Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa, Ben Rama was taken from the, the second division in France, he's now, um. He's now playing for West Ham, the Premier League. And then you see it with Ivan Tony as well. He's their top score, Championship's top scorer this season with 32 goals. And he he when he they bought him from like Peterborough in League One and they'll be looking to sell him for probably, he probably has a price tag of 30 million now. And I think they they even they scrapped their academy as well. I think they had a the um they had an academy, but no player broke through since. 2005, or something like that, there. So, whenever he came in, he just decided to completely scrap the academy because I think what was happening was all their, all their academy players were being bought up by all these big Premier League clubs. So, as soon as the player turned 17, they were losing them. So, they're up at the same time, they were losing money. So, I, they changed their whole approach to like a B team. They replaced their academy with a, a B team who took on players who were rejected by other clubs and overseas players, sort of looking at trial. In England. So instead of losing their best academy players to all these bigger clubs, sort of because obviously they're based in the London area. So they're big fish, they're small fish in a big pond with likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, etc. around them. So instead of losing their best academy prospects to these big clubs, they were now getting these academy rejects from the bigger clubs who are maybe being overlooked. And yeah. they've done other things as well, like hiring set piece coaches and stuff like out there. And it's been successful for them. So whenever Benham took over in 2012, they're in League One. There's definitely something to be said for that analysis in football, isn't there, and how, how it can bring success to these
2: smaller teams? Uh, I remember whenever I was reading about, you know, Brentford and, you know, whatever I heard, like, initially, the idea of, like, oh, they've got rid of their their youth team. Like, some, like, part of me was like, oh, that's, that's like, sad. That's, like, bad. Like that. Some Yeah, it sort of takes the magic out of football a bit, doesn't it? In some respect, if you're looking at the flip side of it, but then I, I do appreciate that like as you're saying, like these uh, there are these dudes who basically have to, you know, compete with every other big club in London, just like buying up anyone who looks half decent from their academy. I mean, that that's where like I I understand why they've kind of been pushed to that kind of place where effectively they no they no longer can have an academy because the other clubs just ruined it for them. So
0: Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of the idea if you can't you can't if you can't outspend these clubs, you have to sort of outsmart them. Exactly, yeah. In a way, so I think that's sort of the whole idea behind it. Yeah. But it's obviously looking for it's obviously working for Brentford, and I think Barnsley are another club in the championship who are very, like, sort of heavily focused on that sort of data analysis side of things as well. And I think they were in League One a couple of years ago, and they were in the, the playoffs for the Premier League this season as well. Obviously, they lost to Swansea there the other night, but it just shows that it can be it can work for some sides.
1: Well, I was just on the on the topic of the whole Brentford model, I was, obviously one of the players quite a high name, obviously Matthew being a Liverpool fan would be well aware of, and Raheem Sterling's a sort of classic example of that sort of prizing away a player uh, where he's at that age where he's showing the potential and, but he's not obviously old enough to be signed a professional contract I think he only cost Liverpool about half a million and obviously he went on to be sold to City at around 50 odd mil five years later or so. so it does just show you that the approach that Brentford have taken with and um, getting rid of that sort of youth system and uh, and focusing on on developing talent other ways can obviously pay dividends in the long run.
2: Yeah, I just do I do wonder then in the future, like going forward with like kind of academies, where where do they go? Because not every team can just can just become like the the team who buys up like Premier League rejects. I imagine some of them just have to kind of grit their teeth and be the kind of feeder club and just deal with being maybe on the bottom of the rung in terms of actually developing talent and then just. It getting stolen away from them before, you know, they actually get to use it properly. Yeah, yeah
0: because eventually these bigger clubs, like the likes of City, Chelsea, Liverpool, etc., they'll become wise to this and they'll start. And they probably already have a lot of them. They'll start investing in data analysis departments and they'll start looking in these sort of smaller rungs of Europe for you new know, players that might not be, you know, might not be looked at. Yeah, by you know some other clubs so they'll, they'll get smart to it as well there's only a matter of time before the whole data analysis thing maybe it all obviously it already is probably used by the bigger clubs but there's only so far i think the likes of Brentford and maybe barnes can go with that sort of model if you, if you get me
2: i think it's it's definitely the only thing which is holding them some, some of them back to some degree now is probably um like these smaller clubs starting to like have very very like exhaustive data and t- like actually recording the data that like or like once there's like some independent like you know opt or someone like can i guess that level of being able to like take in all this data from like lower levels of football you'd imagine all these big clubs in and all of a sudden just be able to like scouting would just be now instead of like actually having to go do rigorous scouting around the place all you need to really do is look at the data figure out what player like fits your model from like the lower leagues and then just make sure that he actually does on the pitch
1: yeah well uh, we're we're seeing already sort of we've touched on it Briefly before about players and um, starting to cut out the middleman forms of agents uh, and working directly with their clubs using yeah. data analysis to um to decide on their own sort of worth to the club in terms of uh, their output and notable mentions being uh, De Bruyne and Memphis Depay did that as well I think whenever he was negotiating with Leon so that side of things as well obviously that it's shown the the importance of data analysis sort of side of things um for players whenever they're working directly with. The clubs for their sort of new contracts
2: yeah, in terms of like player power that's so interesting to me like just going forward like uh because obviously i feel like for a long time now you kind of feel like agents have partially just become these people who've controlled a player's career to, to some degree but then also you can argue that clubs have like also kind of controlled all of players careers and whether whether there could be a change where like more players could actually have a little bit more say within their career and where they go kind of in the future with like this kind of support network of actual data that can tell them what they should be doing in the future. I don't know. It's interesting though.
1: Just going back to your role. Um, whenever you started out on that, was it something that you sort of had aims to, to eventually do whenever you started posting on Reddit or
2: I think whenever I was originally posting on Reddit, it was definitely a relatively hard to imagine dream like at the time because I, I didn't think like it was gonna become anything I mean, because whenever I started I didn't even think like that that what I was doing was in any form or way like unique. I just thought that I was, you know, just some dude just on an internet forum telling other people why uh what i thought and probably being wrong about the things that i said i think the good thing about posting on reddit was like you, you kind of were sharpening the sword just on your own and just kind of forcing yourself to kind of like develop like analytical skill skill set that yeah. i mean i've even, even taken into like the political side of things where i'm doing the as you said earlier the beyond the Eye, and like a lot of now the the write-ups that i do with beyond the Eye, can i just feel like what i used to do with the football yeah where i would just watch a bunch of well before i would obviously like watch a bu- bunch of football now it's i read a bunch of articles and i read a bunch of like uh, policy and all that and kind of come up with some form of analysis so i think it, it, it's like a transferable skill at least i guess
1: yeah i was going to say with obviously beyond deny there's a lot of what you do is sort of database so yeah. do you think your um your sort of abilities and that set of things have stemmed from what you were doing previously with football
2: I actually think it helped. Yeah. Cause I I think obviously with university, I think I'm not exactly being like controversial when I say, I think a lot of people leave university and they don't actually feel like they've got the skills that they need to like legitimately actually get like jobs and get, you know, Mm. or function within like the real world, uh, job market. And I think I felt partially that way about coming out of the politics degree that I did, but whenever I was actually doing the football analysis, I felt like I was actually gaining a skill set that wasn't, it wasn't just like transferable, it was somewhat like unique. Um, Mm which, like, not a lot of people were doing what I was doing, I guess. Well, whenever I was doing it at the time, not, not a lot of people were doing it. Now more people are doing it. Um, and there's probably a lot more people who now can probably do what I was doing at that time. But I think, like, it, it's transferred, as you say, like, in a data sense. It's also transferred just in the general sense of, like, how you approach analyzing something in terms of people, I guess, and also uh, just... I, I guess in terms of, like, the actual... Me doing the, the thing for Swedish, uh, the Swedish club was it's also just about like presenting something to a client or presenting something to someone who you have to like sell where they're paying you to do something. And you actually have to, you know, produce a product they're going to be happy with after paying you, um, sure. which is pretty important, I guess, in the real world.
1: So what it was an actual sort of paid role then that you were in?
2: Yeah, I got paid like 200 quid. I think it was. I tried negotiating, like I tried to, it got to the point where I was negotiating saying "Oh." Sure, give me the 200 quid and give me a, a football kit from the shirt as well. And they were like, We don't we don't give out football kits, unfortunately. And I was like, right, I'll take the 200 quid then.
0: This is well, Matthew. I wanted to ask you about getting into the sort of the specifics of the actual analysis analysis that you were doing. Were you looking at players like more specifically, or was it more like the team itself, or was it like the opponents, like the team's upcoming opponents, or what what's sort of area were you looking at specifically, or were you sort of just branching into different?
2: various so he uh, the the manager of the football club gave me four uh four previous games their last four games he gave me like the the recordings of and he and what i did effectively was i kind of broke down how his team was playing and how they were playing and i kind of tried to create like a critique i guess partially of his team, but it was also me pointing out the things that his team did right obviously as well because i kind of developed like an approach like there, there was this whole thing of like louis van Hal said that the way of analyzing a team was you kind of break it down into four sections of a game You it would it's attack defense and then you know the transition in between yeah so what I was doing was I was effectively doing that I was you know analyzing the attack I was analyzing the defense knows analyzing you know how his team does in between those two parts I was doing I guess partially looking at specific players because like some players I caught my eye the striker I, I felt sorry for watching it because uh, I think the striker was always very lonely in the game. I don't think they were very well utilized, but it was more about like getting a, a look at the whole team and kind of giving like an overall criticism. Like it can give you like an example would have been like, I remember specifically looking at the team and saying, you're really good at like, in the press, you're really good in the press. It's just that the problem is you're not actually being aggressive in the press. Cause you'll get to the stage of having surrounded someone and then all the players, once they've surrounded them, kind of just wait for the player to, you know do something as opposed to being surrounded and actually taking the ball off them and then creating a counter attack yeah and that was just one of the kind of criticisms that i had of it i also thought you know we did very well to like clearly get the team to a point where they had trained well enough that they were doing the cover shadows they were closing the player down they got all the way up to that point and maybe due to like having played that way so long they maybe got a bit lazy and they decided i'm not going to do the aggressive bit where i actually have to tackle the player i'm just going to kind of do the bit where i close the player down but i was the thing which I pointed out was yeah, you need to make sure they're actually taking advantage of that press because they've done all the work. And once you do all the work, you want to then get the reward of actually being able to counterattack and take advantage of this player, you know, Gagan press or whatever you want to call it. The Gagan press
0: and thing or that like high press that's become that's sort of become really like popular, like tactic-wise recently you wouldn't see like 10, 15 years ago you wouldn't have seen that by like maybe you've seen it by the bigger teams, but you're seeing even like smaller sides now. Oh yeah. Sort of like to adopt that press and style. Is that sort of something you've seen for your own? Obviously, you do, you sure do this as a hobby. Do you, think, do you think that's sort of something that's become a lot bigger within the games, that will press inside or sort of pressing from the front? Type football, obviously, you're, you're going to clap as popularised in the Premier League? I think
2: that's become, I think for some teams, obviously not all of them do it as high up the pitch. Not even Liverpool do as high up high the pitch as they mm-hmm. used to. But like I think definitely having a press at some level, of the pitch has become, for a lot of teams, just a norm. In terms of how you play football now and i think there's becoming there is coming a kind of response to that where you're now seeing a lot of players who are a lot more press resistant like they have a like even players from center back to like goalkeeper like a, you can clearly tell that the game's now getting like to a level of technical ability to deal with that high press yeah where you know you have players like adderson or allison or Virgil Van Dijk, or I don't want to just name Liverpool players, kind of Liverpool fan, but uh, you know, you could take Thiago Silva. I mean, Thiago Silva's been, you know, that kind of techno player for like ten years now. He, I mean, they they've all got kind of got that ability to deal with a press and to kind of work their way out of a press, even if they're surrounded, they seem to somehow get get away out of a press. You see with Tuchel and Lawton, the Chelsea team, like they're very comfortable passing around the back and getting out of a press. Exactly. So, and I think a lot of these teams have come a lot smarter. At, uh, positioning the players so they actually end up with more overloads on the ball. Um, I think at the start of whenever like this whole pressing thing happened with Jurgen Klopp, a lot of teams at the back kind of weren't worried about having more men at the back than uh, you know, the opposition was. Now whenever you know you see like a PAP team play and they're getting pressed high, you know, all the center backs are back, all the full backs are stressed out wide to the very edge of the pitch. The CDM's probably there giving support. And then there's probably also like one other midfielder. So they've got a lot mm-hmm. smarter in how they actually deal with mm-hmm. the press, in a way of like making sure they actually have enough players to pass the ball out, or having like a route to go to, I guess.
1: And having having a centre back with the attribute of being able to pick a pass and yeah. ball playing centre half has become so of such importance to teams nowadays. So many of them are obviously looking at players that can build from the back, rather than root one and, and that sort of things. <laughs> the games become a lot more about to sort of build up and um, having players like that, as you mentioned, Van Dyke and likes of Harry Maguire as well, you'd throw in there.
2: I think a lot of the team, because I think it's just like the way that football evolves, that for a long time that that centre-back just didn't exist. Or if they did exist, yeah. they were like, you know, they were David Luiz. They were like a really unpredictable kind of error prone at times kind of centre-back, where now you kind of have these ball players who... They're, they are actually really competent defenders, but they also do have the technical ability to kind of pass it all out. As kind of just the game kind of developing to a place where I think every player now has like a heightened level of expectation on like a technical degree.
0: I think my two centre-backs, you'd say, are right before their time. And that sort of aspect where, for example, I say Rio Ferdinand and someone who yeah. doesn't get looked at as much as actually John Terry. Like everybody sees John Terry as this like leadership, like strong tackling like he threw his body in on the block. But actually, if you look back at John Terry and the way he played, he was actually very tactically gifted. Like he, he could He's play off pass, he, yeah. he could play off either foot. He was actually right footed, but he used to spray like, spread out passes to the wing like with his left foot. Like and it looked like he was like it looked like nothing to him. So and Rio yeah. Ferdinand as well, obviously, is someone like he sort of started that whole trend of stepping out from the back and sort of being a link between, you know, defense and midfield. He was sort of all so there was uh, just single of two centre-backs who were maybe sort of before their time, certainly in English football anyway, in that respect.
1: I think the beauty of the likes of Rio Ferdinand and that John Terry was their defensive partner as well. So obviously um, yeah. Rio had Nemanja Vidić and John Terry had Ricardo Carvalho. So them having maybe a bit more time on the ball to pick that pass, should they have made a wrong decision or whatever, they do have that player who's going to get maybe a bit more stuck in than they would alongside him to, to cover up should they need need be.
2: Yeah, I think it's also funny now because obviously it's almost like now the defensive partnership is, as you said, like used to be like kind of the, I don't want to just like stereotype it in the hard man and the technical one. But then now you've obviously got like, you know, it used to be Ramos and Pepe. Now it's Ramos and Varane, or, you know, so it's not like quite as much of a, I feel like now almost some teams want two similar center backs as opposed to having, you know, two different kinds of center backs. Because I feel like the same way about Liverpool right now would be you know, they like having Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dyke. And probably the only difference between them would be that Virgil van dyke's a lot more consistent than Joe Gomez. But, you know, Joe Gomez is like a decent passer. He's like decent, you know, uh, and obviously a very good, like, athletic defender. And I think you can see that on other teams as well. Like I said, like Ramos and Brown. It's not that they're like, you know, completely a distance apart. They're both athletic. They're both quick. They're both, you know, decent with their feet Um, as opposed to like you know Pepe and Ramos who were you know hard man and um, and uh, kind of the more technical even though Ramos was a bit you know he's a, he's a hard guy I don't want to say that he's not a, a hard uh, center back he's a different kind of center back though to what Pepe would have been
0: yeah it's, it's almost yeah. not as if like sometimes you're prioritizing the technical ability over that sort of yeah. phys- physicality side of things that's almost been like a revamp now where Almost like if if they are hard the tackle, they a hard attack, they can't wear header. That's almost like a secondary thing. Like that's a oh, well, that's a bonus. But actually, for a lot of teams, it, it's it looks like Dal Goldie to pass out from the back is almost first and foremost whenever they're looking at bringing the center back in.
1: Definitely. Were you looking at the sort of individual attributes of certain players?
2: I but even whenever I was picking out players, I think I always usually picked out players more because there was some like problem with like the way they were playing or there was like a very strong point of the way they were playing which made them stand out. Um because like I was saying, like the striker felt a little bit isolated. I thought that the midfielders were good, but they weren't being like utilized enough, like the center midfielders, because they always just were just going up the wing. I was kind of there like you got two good center midfielders. Maybe one of them could like you know run to support the striker. So I didn't necessarily pick up like individual uh players, but I was definitely like m- looking at players thinking, what kind of the, what could they be like offering the team right now? Like from the skill set that you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I suppose at the level that the team is at, it's it's sort of hard to find players that are notably standout as well. No disrespect, yeah. of course, but you're not exactly working with uh, with like, so Premier League football kind of kind of level of ability.
0: No, It's metal. That's a, a Swedish second division women's team is doing this. Like looking into that analysis. That's. That's, that shows you how far the whole data analysis side of things is has went in football. Yeah. The team like that are, are utilizing it.
2: Yeah, I think I had a very young manager. Like I think he was like in his uh, I want to say like late 20s, or early 30s. So I think he definitely probably like the youth probably helped him in terms of like being open to doing that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe more a more old school manager. I couldn't see Sam Allardyce sifting through <laughs>
2: 90 minutes of tactical analysis.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was just about to use the exact same example. It or not, but.
2: <laughs> apparently what Sam Allardyce did actually back in the day, when I, this was like in the 90s or something, apparently he, he was quite into like, he's like quite into NFL or something, or he's quite into like the way the NFL used I
0: actually think, statistics. I test. I remember reading yeah. somewhere that whenever he held out like that Bolton team, he was big into like sports, the whole sports science side of things apparently.
2: Yeah. So maybe he's actually more progressive than people give him credit for. I wonder if he was progressive, and then he just kind of aged out of being progressive. Maybe he just became like... It's the same like like with Arsene Wenger and all that you know like he used to be like kind of innovative, and then it kind of became a little bit more what he was special for. It kind of just became a kind of normal thing maybe. Yeah, um, more people got wise to it. Yeah, yeah. Like he
0: was he was very he was very revolutionary in terms of like revolutionary, sure. In terms of like the whole nutrition side of things as well. Yeah. Like before that, you've seen players in England they would have, they were still going for about ten pints after a game, and they were you know they were still <laughs> drunk and stuff like got there. And then he completely changed the whole the whole sports science
1: side of things as well. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting that clubs even of that sort of level are, are looking at sort of outside sources to provide them with tactical analysis. Maybe that's just a, a budget side of thing and not having the, the resource available internally to provide that sort of outlook. But um, you'd think that mo- most clubs nowadays would have someone within the actual club structure that does that sort of side of things rather than having to go to, to an online forum and, and find mm-hmm. a fella who is just, on his own accord just writing articles
2: yeah i always think there's maybe a business idea in there of like a like if if you were able to get like some form of like money for it then you'd be able to create like a third party um data analysis or tactical analysis kind of uh service that you could offer to like smaller clubs because obviously you could like offer them a discounted rate due to due to you doing it for like maybe multiple clients and then but um, I think you need a lot of, lot of money to start that kind of thing up. So uh,
1: Yeah, it'd be a massive startup.
2: Yeah. That
1: no, would definitely be interesting. Get that idea trademarked. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Cut that <laughs> out of the podcast. <laughs> <No one done. laughs> I just wonder so, were you looking at like
0: full 90 minute, whenever they were saying you were the video was down, Lies, were you watching like full 90 minute matches?
2: yeah yeah yeah. so I, I was watching the whole match so he sent me yeah, like four complete matches um that i assume he uh, i think some of the club just recorded them themselves and then just would have would then uh, send it over to me uh those four games and i did the analysis on them yeah i just wonder about that the that
0: process that, is that something that after a while maybe gets a bit monotonous like having to like, sift through 90 minutes like 90-minute matches in the, the swedish women's second division <laughs> like is that, is that something that after a while you're like right no i like football but this this is a bit far type thing
2: i can't watch someone boot the ball up to the other side of the pitch again no i think uh at the time it wasn't i think now it would be because like if whenever you're doing a nine to five i think it's different because you're there like i don't want to watch this kind of thing uh just like for another two hours of my night whenever i don't have that much time <laughs> in my day anyway but like i think whenever i was in university i think i i eight through i used to watch like stupid football games i remember i watched like because there's this there's a website called football footballia or something like that where you sign up for free and it just has like this whole collection of, like classic games so i remember i just went back and i would i used to just watch stupidly old games i remember i watched like that real madrid frankfurt game from like the 60s of
0: that was that was a glory of university you just had far too much time <laughs> in your hands
2: had way too much time so I was just like yeah I'm just gonna watch today like you know Hungary versus England from like the 60s and it's you know it doesn't matter to me like I'm, I'm fine with it but now like if I was to do that I'd be there like why am I doing this I, I don't have any time yeah, day anyway. I don't just shouldn't
0: load, should load anymore <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I gotta work for my money now like.
1: the beauty of a day oh, take it for take granted me back.
0: take me back yeah <laughs> One only other question that might really want to ask you is do you think that maybe like clubs need to be careful about not like relying too much on like statistics and data? analysis Because I think that sometimes that people look at stats, but like sometimes they can be quite misleading. Like for example, you see somebody scored 25 goals in a season, right? On the on the face of things, that that looks like a very good stat. But like if you actually delve deeper into that, how many of those goals scored were penalties? How many of those goals scored were tappings. Another one, like a pass completion rate. You see a player has hundred percent pass completion rate in a match. Um, like okay, hundred percent pass completion rate, but how many of those passes were a one meter pass to his other midfield uh, partner, or how good were the quality of the opposition? How of the other midfield he was playing against? So, I guess, sort of what I want to ask, and that is perhaps maybe like the, the interpretation of statistics more important than the actual statistics themselves.
2: Yeah, I I, yeah, I completely agree. I remember probably back a couple of years ago, like I think I probably would have you know been the guy who said no, you can do it, you know, all from like tactical analysis and uh, statistics. But I think now I definitely probably have like more of a more of like a widened uh, perspective on it. Where I think yeah, I think there needs to be an actual holistic approach to it where you take in like all sides because i think relying on statistics totally is not the way to go but then there's the other side of we well, can't you need to like take in statistics you can't be the kind of old boy who just you know doesn't look at the new way of doing things which is maybe where statistics comes in you kind of have to find the good points of and the good parts of it to kind of implement uh, so i completely agree i think also um as you say like kind of the, the breakdown of statistics needs to be probably better where we have more comprehensive statistics that look at football-specific kind of activities on the pitch or, like, not just creating, like, this uh, stealing the idea of baseball or, like, the NFL, just taking all their statistics, finding, like, a way for it to work for football and, like, a very, you know, the unique sport sport the football is. Given, like, football its own set of statistics that kind of function for it, I guess, is what needs to be looked at more in the coming years, I guess.
0: Yeah, there's a happy medium, isn't there? Everything sort of stops exactly. and the other, the other side of things because I think it's similar as well. When you look at like players will have these or people have these debates on Twitter about you know who's better, and they'll probably my schools and the Bruyne or something like that there, and then the yeah. whole argument will be about how many goals, how many goals the Bruyne scored versus how many goals schools scored, or how many goal or how many assists the Bruyne had versus how many assists schools had, when actually. When you're looking at the debate they got there, you need to look at so much more. Like how, like how did those players step up in big matches? The players, those players were, and sorry, the players, uh, the, the quality of the team that player was in. Um, yeah,
2: exactly,
0: yeah. You know, like how many titles that player won. Like it's not just as black and white as saying he scored more goals or he's in more assists. So yeah, no, there's definitely a happy medium, with
1: it. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the sort of bigger picture in that sense. You can't just look at it from the the black and white stance of of numbers based on a bit of paper you have to kind of take into all the sort of all the sort of factors and the circumstances that each player finds himself in I suppose
2: definitely